Tri-State's number one motorsports talk show. Today's program is brought to you in part by our marketing partners. Recognized by the Eastern Motorsports Press Association as one of the top racing shows in the Eastern United States, here's Rappin' on Racing. Good evening, I'm Don Gamble, and I want to welcome you to a special edition of Rappin' on Racing. Years ago, I had the honor of doing a two-hour program with auto racing legend Herb Scott. I feel that today would be an excellent time to honor his memory. Herb was a well-known stock car racer who captured many championships at tracks throughout the region. Herb died on May 6th of pneumonia at UPMC Pazavent. He was 83 years old. Among Herb's 520 feature wins, there were 12 consecutive victories at Clarksburg, West Virginia in 1952. He capped off the 1956 season with 45 wins and 21 of them at Heidelberg Raceway. He won his 500th career victory on May 30, 1975 at Don Martin's Lernerville Speedway. He also won 10 Pittsburgh Racing Association championships. Herb was a member of the Pittsburgh Circle Track Club Hall of Fame, along with induction into the National Dirt Track, the Western Pennsylvania Sports, the Lernerville Speedway, and the Pocono Speedway Halls of Fame. Racing peers respected his prowess on the track and appreciated his sense of humor. I hope you enjoy the show. The month of July at Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway is shaping up to be a thrilling month of entertainment at Dirt's Monster Half Mile. On Saturday, July the 1st, Falcone's Moon Township Automotive presents the Buckeye Outlaw Sprint Series. The wingless daredevils fight one another to tame Dirt's Monster Half Mile. On Saturday, July the 8th, it's autograph night where everyone will get to meet the drivers and see the cars up close on the front stretch of the speedway. Saturday, July 15th, it's the annual Herb Scott Memorial featuring the Rush Late Model Touring Series. One week later, on July 22nd, our TMT Transportation Action Event Divisions will be on display as the Rush Sportsman Modifies join us for another visit. And the month rounds out on July 29th with the Rush Sprint Cars, headlining a TMT Transportation Action Event. Visit ppms.com today. Search PA Motor Speedway on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, home of Dirt's Monster Half Mile. Herb, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this. Oh, I'm glad to do it. Uh, you've done a lot of things for me, so here we go. <laughs> We had you on for a brief segment early in the summer, and a lot of the fans were commenting on just how much they enjoyed it. So when I had a chance to talk to you, it seemed like it would be the perfect opportunity. So we're just going to start back in 1947, and we're just going to tell everybody about how this wonderful career developed. Well, 1947 uh, went to, uh, up to large to the races. Uh, that was when they still ran down, and they had to go through the creek. Body of Corners and them guys. And my good friend Bob Unks and I went, and then they started racing up where the uh, the drive-in was later, I guess. It was still enlarged. And went there and uh, got the bug bad. So we decided to build a car, bought a 
34 Ford took the body off it and made some roll bars out of an old gas pipe that was buried underneath the ground and dug that out and bent it around a tree <laughs> and went from there. Herb, after you got the first car, let's pick up the story. Well, the first car uh, was a 34 Ford, that's what I told you before, and the season was getting pretty close to going down. So uh, we went to New Kensington and raced with the guys, and I ended up winning one, one race with it. And uh, we made some more changes during the winter, and then we got some guys over in Mount Nebo area, businessmen, all decided that they, they would come down where we're working on the car, and they decided to put a little bit of money in it. And we, uh, we had a pretty nice car. Was still all original engine though, a '34 Ford, you know, so that wasn't too much. But uh, we went some other places. Gee whiz, we went to uh, Barberton, Ohio, and of course we didn't do any good up there. But we just kept moping around with it, and finally got the car good. They called it the. It was 12 guys. They called it the Beery 12, and you can imagine why they called it Beery. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so we started working on it and started to uh, making it better. And then we kind of graduated up a little bit and kept fooling with that car, though, until 1951. Uh, met as far as Beckman Motor Company. And they were great guys. And they had a 32 Ford Coupe. And got a modified engine and we started traveling around and we went down to uh, we went down to Wheeling one Saturday night to race and uh, father come over and he asked us if we would come to uh, Clarksburg the next day and uh, we said well that's kind of well, we had all the women with us and kids and uh, but we did and then the lady the women and the kids came home and we went on down we stayed at this guy's house we had steak for breakfast in the morning. We went out to the racetrack, and at the racetrack, there was some guys. One guy's name was uh, Monty Maward, and he uh, started a little trouble and had all the guys together, and they weren't going to run if I ran. So the uh, guy that owned the track said, well, guys, looks like Herb's going to win all the money today. Pretty soon, one or two of them come out on the track, <laughs> and pretty soon we raced. Uh, we had all the guys raced, and needless to say, I won 12 features in a row. That was pretty impressive. For the fans that are listening today, and they probably have no concept, uh, your car with Beckman, which was one of the premier cars at the time, what do you figure that car was worth? Well, it, uh, I don't know. At that time... I know Chuck put a lot of uh, money into the engine. Uh, Honest Charlie in Chattanooga, Tennessee, supplied us with with camshafts and crankshaft. We had a half-inch stroker. We started with a quarter-inch stroker. When I say stroker, that means it makes the stroke longer and gives you more power. And uh, that's what we did there. And we kept on racing, and we... I don't know how many features we won with that car. Then in 19, 
Well, we we started racing down in Green Valley, I guess, on uh, Friday nights or whatever it was. Originally, they called it uh, uh, North Hill Speedway, I guess. I think, uh, and I believe O'Connor, Buddy O'Connor, I believe, built that. Uh, before we get too far into the next year, though, uh, let's talk a little bit about New Kensington. I understand they had a, a very unique way of keeping the dust down at the track. Yes, they did. They used the... Uh, uh, it was an aluminum company. They made uh, aluminum products right there, and they used the paint. It was silver paint, and they used the paint to put on the track. And it sure kept the dust down, but was it dirty? You come out of there, <laughs> you come out of there, it looked like you it was out of a coal mine someplace, you know. And it was sticky, and the car, the car had all that stuff on. It was, it was fun though. I guess the Environmental Protection Agency wouldn't let that happen today. I'm sure they wouldn't, but we, we, we would have probably done it somehow. But a lot of the tracks at that time used oil, and which done the job, but not as good as the silver paint. Now, in 49, uh, you and your lovely wife, Pat, got married, and you continued your, your racing career. And I understand that uh, there was a big race up at New Kensington, a 100-lapper, and uh, you, you finished third, and everybody was celebrating and kind of hanging around, waiting to get paid off. And uh, then there was a problem. Yeah, the problem was a guy came over, and he says, you know, there's nobody over there to pay out. The guy that had the track, he didn't own it. He was leasing, I guess. And uh, he, he took off with the money, but we 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 enjoyed what we did anyhow. And that fella, and we need to put in a disclaimer: his name was Shemp, but no relation to Smokey. Yeah, I always kid Smokey about it. I when I think about it, I said, well, some people don't recognize their relations. <laughs> We got a lot of smoky stories that we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, but what we're going to do, we're going to take our, our next break, and we'll be back with more with Herb Scott after these messages. Every day when they open the doors at Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, their goal is to provide great customer service by offering affordable automotive and truck repair service performed by highly trained technicians at the highest industry standard. By implementing the latest diagnostic equipment and computerized repair manuals, you can rest assured that your vehicle will be repaired to factory specifications for your specific car or truck. At Zarin Truck and Automotive, they believe in honest repairs and will demonstrate that fully by explaining the repair or service you are receiving and they'll give you an estimate or quote before work is performed. When you choose Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, you are choosing professional automotive repair and maintenance performed by expert automotive technicians. That's Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights. Okay, fans, we're back. We're talking with Herb Scott, one of the racing legends in western Pennsylvania. Herb, in 1950, your son Deke was born, and a lot of exciting things happening. Cooperstown Speedway opened up. Let's pick up the story there. Okay, Cooperstown is up right eight towards Butler, and uh, guys, no, no blows were their their name, and they built the track, and it was a it was about a half mile dirt, and they treated it with oil. It was it was a nice track, but it didn't last long because I guess they didn't have the money to operate it. So there was some good cars there, there were a lot of good guys, and uh, I was driving a car. Well, we still, that was the car that we had to still build ourselves, you know. And uh, 
it ran fair. But anyhow, later on in the season up there, Bill Kessler had a, I think Bill had three cars. He had a Ford and two Fords and one with a Hudson. So I drove the one with the Hudson, and they had a big race, a hundred lapper, and uh, I won that race. And that might have been the last race that they had up there. I'm not sure, but that uh, was a lot of fun up there. And the next year, they, I don't think they even opened up the next year. Were those cars called the Roadsters? Yeah, they were called Roadsters. Yes, they. It was. They started out without a body, and then they put bodies on them. You know. And, yeah, it was different. Safety wasn't a big factor. I can recall Buddy O'Connor, I had asked him one time about a seat belt, and he said they, they had a big truck inner tube, and they would lift the inner tube up and let him get in, and then they'd let it down, and he just had to make sure that his pit crew wasn't mad at him. Yeah, well, we used a, one of the guys, uh, his, his brother delivered mail, uh, newspapers, you know, like Pittsburgh Press or Post-Gazette. They had that big strap that they uh, carried the newspapers around in, and that's what we used. We could adjust it, but I don't know if it would ever held anything. When you think about the safety vent compared to today, we've come a long way. Uh, I guess it wasn't a big payoff at that race. No, it wasn't very big at all. I think I think it was like five or ten dollars to win, and. If you finish, you at least got a dollar. I think that's what it costs us to get in a dollar each. <laughs> but there was some guys that, uh, going back to uh, going back to the race up at uh, well, um, anyhow, there was some guys got killed in them days. Uh, if you flipped a car, you generally didn't make it out. There was one guy uh, up at large. Uh, got eliminated and but for all the accidents they had and everything the way the cars was was all pretty lucky we had mentioned earlier in the show Beckman Motors and I guess you you got together with them in 1951 and it's my understanding that uh, they're still up in the Mount Oliver area now uh, when you when you hooked up with Beckman how did that come to be well my I was operating uh, equipment at that time, and uh, my brother also did, and he knew the the guys that uh, were in charge of the union and so forth, and uh, Beckman's had a driver, a very nice guy, Matt Kewen was his name, but uh, for some reason I guess he didn't want to drive anymore, so I started driving, and uh, we started clicking right away and kept on clicking. Well, where did they approach you? At the Speedway? I mean, how did the specifics of, uh, I don't know, it was a long time ago, if you can recall how you initially uh, made contact with them? Well, I don't remember if I called them or they called me, but we got together and uh, we had a lot of lot of fun and won a lot of races at uh, different places. And Now, you went, and you had mentioned earlier about going down to Clarksburg and winning all those races, but uh, I guess... Uh, the the fellows that were complaining there, and you mentioned that Monty Ward, uh, I wouldn't blame them for not wanting to race with you. But in uh, there was a wasn't there a point in time where Beckman took a car uh, to uh, I guess it was in '55. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. We'll hold up on that. In 1954, when the PRA started, uh, let's pick the story up there. Well, I didn't have a. Uh Beckman's, you know, I did have, I started Beckman's in 55, 
but I didn't really have anything to race at Heidelberg that was competitive. So when the time we got competitive, why that was when I started driving for Doc. I could tell you how that started. Well, when the PRA uh, first was formed, were you you weren't real involved in '54? Is that my am I correct? No, we were racing different places, West Virginia and Ohio, and we were. We were making we were making some money back back then. If you made a couple hundred bucks, you were making a lot, you know. The guys today would like to probably come and make a couple of hundred bucks, and we'll get into purses and payoffs here. But uh, some, your perception in '54, when when uh, they first formed the Pittsburgh Racing Association, did you think that uh, this was a good idea, or how'd you feel about that? Well, the only thing I didn't like about it, they uh, they told us that. Uh, if PRA was having a race, you had to be there. You better not be racing someplace else or you're going to get suspended for a while. So uh, they had to prove that to me. Uh, <laughs> they had a race, in, I think it was at Heidelberg that particular day, and uh, it was a bigger race. So I slipped down to uh, Clarksburg, and we tried to story of uh, somebody else's name well it didn't take long for it all get back here you know and i got witzberger called me on and into the office and he says you're suspended for two weeks you cannot race any place else for two weeks and uh, they they said well you can put somebody else in the car uh, for the two weeks but uh, beckman's uh, didn't do that so that, that was a lesson. <laughs> I guess Whitsburg ran a tight ship. I know Don Dale got in trouble with him a couple of times, and maybe we can get into that. Uh, we're going to pick the story up on the development of PRA and Herb's excellent career in our next segment. We'll be back after these messages. Are you in need of financial planning or portfolio review? Rick Sabo of RPS Financial Solutions is an independent financial planner who has testified as an expert witness on insurance and investment fraud. He helps people who are concerned about their portfolio or with other financial matters. His services include investments, pension, and 401k rollovers, estate planning, life insurance, and long-term care alternatives. As a registered IRS tax preparer, he can assist retirees with the completion of property tax rebate forms and other government tax reduction programs at no charge. Mr. Sabo does not charge a fee to meet with potential clients for a fact find. His office is located at 5061 Route 8, Gibsonia, PA. If you are in need of any of the services that he provides, give him a call at 724-443-5720. That's 724-443-5720. Or email him at rick.sabo at jwcemail.com. Securities offered through J.W. Cole Financial Incorporated, member of FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through J.W. Cole Advisors Incorporated, neither J.W. Cole Advisors Incorporated or J.W. Cole Financial Incorporated, nor its representatives provide legal, tax preparation, or accounting advice. Persons who provide such advice do so in a capacity other than as a registered representative of J.W.C.A., J.W.C. RPS Financial Solutions and J.W.C., J.W.C.A. are unaffiliated entities. Okay, fans, we're back. We're talking with Herb Scott. The gentleman has 520 feature victories and a trophy case that fills half his home. Herb, in 1955, Beckman decided to do some NASCAR racing. Yes, uh, 
we joined NASCAR and uh, they were, we were running new cars. And when I say new cars, uh, Beckman's bought a brand new 55 Plymouth. And the uh, first race we were going to race at was in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, we worked, gee whiz, every night to get a thing ready to go. And it was the spring of the year and it was still cold in places. Well, we started down there. One of the fellows, they had a pickup truck and they had a tow bar and that's how we were going to get there. Well, anyhow, we got down there uh, to Atlanta and uh, it was really cold. So somebody suggested maybe we better check the radiator because all it was in was water. And uh, sure enough, the freeze plugs were pushed out. So they got a guy had a garage, a gas station, and he was open all night, so they left us use his facilities and so forth. And uh, a couple of us, well, Jack Schuster and myself, they, they said, well, you guys better go to bed because the race is, to, you know, won't be too long away. So we went to bed, and gee whiz, we weren't hardly in bed till the sirens started blowing. And, uh, so we got up and looked out, and there was police out there, and they were handcuffing people. So we went back to bed. We didn't get much sleep, but the next morning we went for breakfast. The guys had already got the car ready to go, and there was a lady there, an uh, older lady, I remember, and somebody said to her, what was happening last night? She said, well, when people are disgraceful and they're in bed with somebody they shouldn't be, she said, that's what happened, they get arrested. So we got a big chuckle out of that. <laughs> that wasn't part of the game plan when you got there. No. So we, uh, we got to the track and it was right around, the old, the old track was right around a, uh, a lake. They called it Lakewood Speedway. And uh, we finished... We finished third with that Plymouth. They they took one race, uh, Plymouth, a Ford, and Chevy for a three-car race. And I won that race, but the the feature race I finished third. So that was that was experience. Now back to Beckman's. I understand that that same year they were building a new car for you, and the garage or the building caught fire. Let's pick the story up there. Yeah, they had a 37 Plymouth, and they had switched, uh, well, they are putting a fire dome uh, V8 in it, and uh, the car wasn't completely finished, and the car got fire in the garage. We were working, and lucky it didn't burn the whole place down. So Beckman's was out of business for a race car for a while, so I was just, you know, went to the races up in Butler, and the guy said to me, uh, Dr. Frawley is looking for somebody to drive his car. He has a, two cars. Billy Webster drove one, and a guy from Ohio drove the other one. And I guess they weren't completely satisfied for, with uh, the guy from Ohio. I can't remember his name. So they asked me if I would drive it. And the first night, uh, Dick, Linder, Dick Linder won, and I finished second. So they told me they'd like to see me at South Park. So I went to South Park, and we won, and uh, we just kept on winning and winning after that. But then it got complicated. Beckman's finished their car? Beckman's finished their car, and uh, like I said before, it was one of the hardest things I did. I, I drove their car that first night, and I could tell right then that it just wasn't as competitive as Doc's car was. And So I called Chuck Beckman the next morning and 
he, uh, I told him, we talked for about an hour, I think. And uh, so I left there and got hooked up with Doc Regler. And then I think, uh, was it, I, th I think maybe Dick Bailey drove it or Don Dale drove it for a little bit. But, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of my story. When I left uh, Doc Frawley, Don Dale got in the car. And uh, I called Doc the next day and told him what I was going to do. And uh, they told me to come out and we'll talk about it. And in a nice way, they told Don that I was going to be the driver. Nobody would have had any concept of the success that would be coming with this team of Herb Scott and Doc Frawley. Yeah, it was a great team, and Doc was Doc was a uh, it was he, he was a dentist really, but uh, he made he made a lot of bucks because he was selling stuff they called thumb. They put it on kids' thumbs to keep them from sucking their thumbs, and that's how he made all his money. And uh, he wasn't afraid to put the money in the race car. That, but he was afraid of people learning his secrets. And I understand he kept the cars, yours and Webster's, on a barge. Yeah, it was an airplane uh, seaplane base in DeRoseburg, under, right underneath the DeRoseburg, uh, DeRoseburg Bridge. And uh, if you didn't have, a, if he didn't know you well, you didn't get in. And but he he was something. Every night after the race, he would go back and check the uh, take the plugs out and check the compression and everything. And he had a guy working for him, Herb Harris was his name. And Herb was a very smart guy. And uh, the car was always in top-notch shape. And there was only one race that we missed. The the water water came up. They had a heavy rainstorm in Dravosburg, and they couldn't get off the barge. Now, if I uh, understand it correctly, there were two cars, yours and Webster's. And did Bill uh, work with Harris, or did he build the cars? Bill worked with Harris a lot uh, Bill was a welder, and yeah, he kind of built the cars, but Herb was the, he was the brain, really, of making the cars run. I guess we need to tell people, you have a bird here at the house? That's an artificial bird that goes off with some of the, that's, goes by your clock. Oh, I thought maybe you had a canary or something. <laughs> no, we used to, but we don't have any birds now. Okay, hey, we're going to take our next break. We're talking with Herb Scott, and we'll be back after these messages. Number One Cochrane has created a new way, a faster way, an easier way to buy a car. Now you can complete as much of the process as you'd like online and spend less time in store. Or do it all online and get home delivery. Expressway is way easy to use. Just shop our nearly 20 new car brands and thousands of pre-owned vehicles to find the model that's perfect for you. We're big on transparency, so you get our best possible price up front. We call it our clear-cut price, and it's independently validated by Kelly Blue Book right on your screen. Our experts are standing by to help you throughout the entire buying process. You can also stop at any time, save where you are, and come to the showroom to pick up where you left off. Don't love your new vehicle? Don't worry, we'll take it back, no questions asked. Best of all, Expressway is open 24-7. That means you can buy your way with Expressway right away. Number one, Cochrane. See it all at Cochrane.com. 
We're back. We're talking with Herb Scott on this special edition of Rappin' on Racing. We're going to mention Lernerville a little bit later on because that was where Herb picked up his 500th victory, but we're getting ahead of the story here. Okay, PRA's formed in 54. Uh, you're trying to decide whether you're going to do this. Uh, Buddy O'Connor winning the title in 54, Dick Linder in 55, but in 56 it was the beginning of an unprecedented string of championships. Let's start with 56. Okay, 1956, uh, we were racing... Well, we were racing five nights a week at that time yet. And uh, it was Tuesday night at uh, Washington, uh, Thursday night Heidelberg, Friday night Butler, Saturday night South Park, and Sunday, like, it was Monduke and it was Claridge, right. And uh, so that made us a pretty busy schedule. And I was very fortunate driving for uh, Doc at that time because... He had a man that worked on the car all the time, and all I had to do was meet them at the track. I can recall at least one time when there was a double header where we went to Little Washington. I was just a kid. We went to Little Washington in the afternoon and either Heidelberg or South Park in the evening. Yeah, I know it was uh, It was in the afternoon at Washington, PA, and I, I think it might have been South Park that night. So that was that was a that was the afternoon that Bob Lucy uh, got hurt bad. The car flipped and uh, he got thrown out partially. I've talked to him about that, and he laughs when we talk about it. And I couldn't believe it. I was there. The car's flipping. He comes out the window, and he lands on the fence. He looked like Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy, though. He was a good driver. And uh, I'll t- a little bit later, I'll tell you some other couple stories about Bob. You drove a couple of races in a super modified he had? Yes, I did. And Well, I'll get back to what I was going to tell you. We was up at uh, Claridge. And uh, his brother kind of run the, the show. And Bob was finishing second, third, and fourth. So something happened to Doc's car that night. And uh, so I didn't have a car for the feature. So the, his brother talked Bob into letting me drive the car. And Bob still talked about that. He just said, I drove the car in the heat and the semi-feature and feature won all three of them. Well, his brother really got on him then. And would you believe Bob really it really made a driver out of him? He was afraid his brother was going to fire him. <laughs> yeah, true. Let's go back to uh, Monduke. Uh, I was uh, a very young kid, and probably one of the very few times that I ever recall you rolling a car over, and it was the eight ball of Frawley's, and uh, it was kind of interesting how that happened. Yeah, I, I can still remember that. That happened coming off of uh, uh, in the second turn, and I got hooked up with somebody. I don't really remember. Maybe I don't want to remember, but anyhow, I flipped. When I say I flipped, I rolled and it got into the concession stand where all these people were buying pop and hot dogs and so forth. Lucky nobody got hurt there. So they took me to the hospital in Greensburg, I think it was, and they checked me out, but I was okay. You know, I drive past where Monduke was every day. I live in Delmont, and it's really frustrating because there's homes there and some sort of a personal care facility. And I think what I'd like to see before I pass away is I'd like to see them tear down a mall and build a racetrack. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think you'll see it, but 
No, that's not going to happen. That was that was a great track. Yes, it was. It was a little bigger than a quarter mile. It was wasn't a half, but it was a little bigger. It was long straightaways. I remember, and the people sit in the grandstand, and the grandstand was uh, a, a hillside on the back of it. You know, all they had to do was dig out and put plank in for seats. A lot of places you can't see, but you could really see from there. I don't know if you're aware of it, but that track was originally built by a gentleman that worked at Atlantic Refining Company for horses. He had horses, and he wanted a place to train them. I don't remember that, but that would have been a good place to do it. Yeah. Okay, 1956, the beginning of 10 consecutive Pittsburgh Racing Association championships. When you and Doc decided to do this, was that the plan, or did it just unfold that way? Well, that, I guess the plan was to win the races, and uh, like I say, we went to all. We made all the races. That was one thing about winning the championship; you had to make all the races. But we missed the one when uh, on his barge where he kept the cars. They had a hard rain in the afternoon, and they couldn't get off the barge and kind of all the water. But uh, that was that was that was that was something. That was in '56, and. Uh, there were a lot of good cars, a lot of good drivers, but I just squeezed through. Well, and when I think about some of the tri-state championships, if my memory serves me right, they'd start 55 cars on a half-mile track. Well, there was times it would start 50 or 55 cars, I'm sure. And uh, generally, they went by points. And if you won the heat race, you got 10 points or so forth. And if you won the feature, you got 30 points. And that points would carry from one track to the other. In fact, the whole season. And uh, so it, it took a lot of, lot of work and racing and so forth to get a lot of points. And they didn't put the fast cars in the front. You probably started last most nights. You qualified. And you either, well, then when they went the qualification and the points, yeah, I started almost last every time. And uh, you had to fight everything. But I think today... If they did something like that, it would be great. It, you're right. I mean, the drivers might not like it, but the fans would love it because when there's a straight-up start with the fast guys up front, it's like a parade. Hey, we're going to pick back up on the Pittsburgh Racing Association championships and this incredible string of 10 in a row on the way to 520 feature victory wins in our next segment. We're talking to Herb Scott. We'll be back with more after these messages. The month of July at Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway is shaping up to be a thrilling month of entertainment at Dirt's Monster Half Mile. On Saturday, July the 1st, Falcone's Moon Township Automotive presents the Buckeye Outlaw Sprint Series. The wingless daredevils fight one another to tame Dirt's Monster Half Mile. On Saturday, July the 8th, it's autograph night where everyone will get to meet the drivers and see the cars up close on the front stretch of the speedway. Saturday, July 15th, it's the annual Herb Scott Memorial featuring the Rush Late Model Touring Series. One week later, on July 22nd, our TMT Transportation Action Event Divisions will be on display as the Rush Sportsman Modifieds join us for another visit. And the month rounds out on July 29th with the Rush Sprint Cars headlining a TMT Transportation Action Event. Visit ppms.com today. Search PA Motor Speedway on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, home of Dirt's Monster Half Mile. We're talking with Herb Scott 
uh, Herb, you corrected me here on the break. It wasn't ten in a row. It was ten championships. But uh, And we'll get to the year that you didn't win the tenth one in a row. But I want to get back to PRA and Doc Frawley. Uh, 57, another championship. Uh, 58, you won the Tri-State. But in 59, Doc wants to go to Indy. Yeah, during the summer of uh, 58, I was still driving for Doc. And he got talking about the Indy car, and he wanted to he wanted to hire mechanics and the whole bit. And I kept thinking about it, and I wasn't getting any younger. And I I told him I said, well, Doc, I don't I don't want to do it. And the word got around. Pretty, Hoot said, I'll build you a car, Hoot Martin. So that's what what happened, and then Doc quit. Let's bring Hoot into the picture now. Was he a friend, or was he involved with the team? Did he work on Doc's car? Yes, he did. Uh, he did the carburation work and so forth on Doc's car. And Hoot was always a friend of mine. Uh, in fact, he still is. And uh, that's how that happened. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to have to quit, but I didn't want to go to Indy because I wouldn't have been here today. Well, and you know, when I think about it, in, in, in discussions that I've had with yourself and Buddy O'Connor and Lou Blaney, a lot, and we have some very talented drivers in this area. The same thing: family commitments, job children they just weren't in a position to make that move and and i respect that and if we if we think about it you know dick linder who wanted to do that met his demise on his way right and that was the same time dick went uh, that was the same i think dick got killed in what 59 59 and let's expand on that story i was at south park and I was uh, I was a gopher on a Vilsack car, and Gus Linder was driving for it. And when they announced that Dick had been killed, I guess there was some discussion as whether Gus was going to drive, and you were on standby. You didn't have a car that day. Let's pick the story up. Yeah, my car wasn't finished yet. That was the first year I was going to drive for Hoot. And uh, Gus got the word, and Gus... So they, they asked me if I would drive the car, and I said, yeah. And then Gus changed his mind, and... Uh, but he didn't finish the race. I don't well, know whether he had car trouble or, you know, just. That would be a tough, tough situation, you know. Uh, he probably thought that uh, it would be best to keep his mind on, on what was going on there. But uh, <clears throat> when we think about Dick Linder, he was probably, uh, you know, Dick Linder and uh, Buddy O'Connor and, and some of the guys you raced with. It's some pretty tough competition five nights a week. Oh, yeah, that was tough. And uh, getting back to. The 59, that was the year that I started uh, driving for Hoot. And uh, we we won a lot of races uh, with that. Uh, had, had a Buick engine, and I drove for Hoot for two years. Pretty interesting character, and I guess uh, even to t- today, he still does some, some engine work for some of the fellas. Yes, he does. He does for guys that are pulling, uh, truck pulling and so forth. And he's still an intelligent guy. Whenever you made the switch, was there some anticipation by people that this dominance you had was going to, uh, wouldn't continue? Well, I'm sure there was, uh, but, uh, you know, it comes a time that you got to do it. And uh, I knew that Hood could build a good car, and we all jumped in and helped and went from there. You continued to win championships, and with all the success in 59, the team decided to go to Langhorn. Let's pick the story up at Langhorn. Well, that was the first time that I had ever uh, seen Langhorn. And uh, the biggest race I was ever in was the one in Atlanta. And 
55, I guess it was. Anyhow, uh, we went up there and there was, I think, 180 cars qualified. And I had, uh, I had fast time. Let's go to practice. When you're going around the track trying to get used to the car, maybe running half, three-quarter throttle. Yeah, the, most of the guys up there had Fords at that time, and uh, uh, they were they were all running good. Anyhow, I, it was our turn to go out to practice, and uh, I went out, and uh, I was trying to get used to the car because I'd never been on that track. And it kept going a little faster and a little faster, and gee whiz, when I pulled in after fast laps, everybody's crowded around the car. And I says, <laughs> is there something wrong? He said, you passed everybody, everybody out there. Uh, there was something wrong. They wanted to know what these, what these boys from Pittsburgh with this Buick were going to do. All right, now let's get into the race. Well, I started on a pole. And uh, like I said, I think there was 50 or 55 cars in that race. And uh, gee whiz, I was just passing everybody. I kept on going, kept on going, and I... Nobody, the guys was standing on the straightaway or along the side of the racetrack. They, they're not motioning me anything. So I just kept on going on a 90-second lap of the 100-lap race. I got a flat tire. And I pulled into the pit area real quick, and the guys changed the tire. And they said I was about three laps ahead of everybody. They changed the tire in two and a half laps. I went out, I guess we had six or eight laps left, but uh, I passed every car again. And uh, when the race was over, we had a, when I say fight, it was about what I had to do to get fourth, but I really won the race. And and they, I guess Gerber uh, was feeling guilty, and he tried to rectify that many years later. Yeah, you come to uh, PRA, uh, or, uh, Pittsburgh Racing Associated Banquet, and gave me the same trophy that the winner got, but it still wasn't uh, the one I wanted. <laughs> I had heard that Fiola, who had ra raced with you down here, was so mad that he hooked the chain to the grandstands and they were going to pull the grandstands down. Is there any truth to that? Well, I could believe that. It was all, I, it was came pretty close to some fights, but uh, we, uh, we used our head and got out. And we went back the next year, and uh, I, had I had fast time again. But I, something broke, uh, I think we broke an axle. Langhorn was sort of like the Daytona of the coupe cars from around here. And as we said before, uh, real estate, uh, well, they, they tore the track down and built a mall. Uh, what I want to do uh, in our next segment, we're, there was a transition from the modifieds or the coupes to the super modifieds to the late models. And we're going to get to that in the next segment. I want to remind you, we're with Herb Scott, and we'll be back after these messages. Every day when they open the doors at Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, their goal is to provide great customer service by offering affordable automotive and truck repair service performed by highly trained technicians at the highest industry standard. By implementing the latest diagnostic equipment and computerized repair manuals, you can rest assured that your vehicle will be repaired to factory specifications for your specific car or truck. At Zarin Truck and Automotive, they believe in honest repairs and will demonstrate that fully by explaining the repair or service you are receiving and they'll give you an estimate or quote before work is performed. 
When you choose Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, you are choosing professional automotive repair and maintenance performed by expert automotive technicians. That's Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights. Okay, fans, we're back. Really enjoying this interview here with Herb Scott. Herb, 59 and 60, you won the championship with Hoot Martin, but in 60, Hoot decided he didn't want to do this anymore. Yeah, that was about it, and uh, uh, that's when Peoria went to the late model. Yeah, well, for a brief period of time, they tried the super modifieds, and uh, well, when they stopped running the coupes, what, why do you think that happened? I really don't know. Uh, I think they voted on it. Or they had a general meeting, and uh, I think the, 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 everybody seemed to want the uh, late models. Well, when they brought the super modifieds in, or the 30 by 90s, they tried them for a while, and it really didn't catch on. And I suppose then the decision was made that they were going to run late models. Yeah, I, I, I rode in a uh, super modified, so I drove for Mickey Bannis. And then uh, I did some driving for uh, Bob Lucy, and that's, they just went by the wayside. I, I can recall, I remember the Bannis car, and that was prior to him getting the uh, sprinters for Gus Linder. And then Lucy, I believe, was number 114, and you were in it for a while, and then I think Norm Benning was in it for a bit. But it didn't look like this was going to happen. So when things started to take shape with the late models... You teamed up with Art Munch, and I believe that was in 1962. Um, let's continue with the story. Yeah, I started driving for Art uh, with a Chevy uh, 1962, and uh, well, we we ran good. I won the championship. And then in 1963, Art decided to make a change in drivers. So uh, uh, Joe Mihalik drove for him. And I really didn't have a car. Then I got hooked up with uh, Tom Kennedy. And he had a Ford with a big engine. And uh, the car would go to... I think it only hit on eight cylinders one night. But uh, I won a lot of races with We should mention that was Tom Kennedy Sr., not the Tom Kennedy that uh, many folks in the area know uh, that's currently building engines. Uh, with... With the adjustment from the, the coupes and the super modifieds to the full-bodied cars, uh, was that a difficult adjustment? Yeah, a little bit. It was a little different, but they they, they ran good. And when, when, I, when I, I, I look back, I drove the whole season for, for uh, Kennedy and there's a couple other guys in on it, and we had a we had successful season. Now, in 61, it was one of the interruptions in your string of championships. Uh, Don Luffy won the title, and I believe he was driving the number 89 for Dick Linder Auto Specialties. Uh, it all came down to the last night at South Park. Yeah, uh, it was the last lap, actually, at uh, South Park. And uh, Don and I were running about side by side, and I, naturally I had planned on winning the race. But uh, the last, the last turn, I think it was, a broken axle. And uh, Don Luffy won the race, which he, you know, he deserved it. He did a good job. I remember a race at South Park, and I don't know if you recall it, but probably uh, you were leading. <coughs> Hugh Cole was second, and Mihalik was third. And toward the end of the race, white flag last lap. I don't know. I believe you had uh, distributor problems, and Hugh Cole pushed you across the line to win. Do you remember that? Yes, I remember it. It was on a, it was on a Saturday night at South Park, and uh, 
he was coming off the fourth, right right in the fourth turn, and he was right behind me, and my my, my quit it quit running, and he gave me a shove, and I won the race. What did you think when that happened? Well, I didn't even know who it was. I thought, well, <laughs> whatever happens, happens, you know. And uh, I didn't realize until after I got the checkered flag that I had help. When I went in the pits, and again, as a young kid, and I went up to him and I said, Mr. Cole, I have to ask you this. I just saw what happened. Why did you do that? And his comment was, if you've ever been leading and have the car break, you'd understand. And then to further uh, uh, expand on the story, Mihalik, who was third, was trying to pass both of you, and the people were booing because they didn't think that was good sportsmanship, but I'm sure Joe wanted to win. Oh, definitely he wanted to win, and uh, I'm sure if it would have happened to Joe, he would have took the, took the same advantage. You, th- that was sportsmanship. I mean, un- unsurpassed by anything we've ever seen. Well, now that you were getting adjusted with the late models, this began another new era where you just continued to win championships. Now, when Art Munch decided to make the change, uh, obviously it wasn't for the performance. Why do you think he made the change? Well, I, I think he made the change because Joe evidently was going to drive for him for cheaper price and. And I can't blame him for doing it, you know. But uh, he drove uh, he drove the same car that I drove the year before, you know, and it was a good car. But uh, it was a Chevy. And I, I was kind of chuckled when I got into Ford and uh, won the race, won the championship. Now, your success with Kennedy, uh, it wasn't a long-term uh, situation, but when Tom decided uh, that... Uh, he wasn't going to do it. Uh, a fellow named Ziggy came about, Lou Ziegler, and what a character. I can remember him walking around. He wore that funny hat all the time, and uh, you, you were never sure what kind of a response you were going to get with him. Uh, how and when did Ziggy come into the picture? Well, Ziggy was always a friend of ours, and he did the welding on all the cars around the track. And uh, when I didn't have a car to run, he said, I'll, I'll build a car. So I said, fine. And who was going to do the engine, which he did. And uh, you, you said about the carnival stuff, uh, Ziggy always had a hat, and so he had a cane. And there was mud there, clay laying around, and Ziggy would stick it in and throw it, throw it at different people. I always remember that. But Ziggy was a great guy. Again, another story that you may or may not recall, but uh, I followed your career quite a bit. Heidelberg. Hot laps, something happens to the car. McMillan and Bear was one of the sponsors. They hook it on a tow truck, and it might have been Ziggy hanging over the fender, going down the road to McMillan and Bear to make the repairs. Yeah, McMillan and Bear was just actually across the road from the Heidelberg track and uh, changed the engine and got back in time to get in the feature racer. And he started the engine change while it was still hooked on the truck, oh, yeah. moving down the highway. I think they were still working on it coming back to the, back to the racetrack. That's dedication. You know, for for many years, when you were winning the championships, you always had a one on the car, and I thought it was unique and maybe uh, ties in with Ziggy's personality that that particular year, I believe it was a zero, which was higher than a one. Yeah, well, it wasn't really my idea, but the guys wanted to do it, so that's what they did. The cars, for the most part, with the championships were always pink and white, and I guess a lot of people would wonder how or why did that happen. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, if you won the championship, you got uh, you got you got your you was you got your choice of the number, I guess. If you, I could have instead of being one all them years, I could have took a, another number that somebody wasn't uh, using. 
No, the number I understand, it's the pink. Oh, the pink, pink car. Pink and white. And uh, oh, we, that, that was kind of the trademark. People knew who it was. And then later on, and we'll get to that, your cars were, uh, I guess, a fluorescent uh, red or orange. Orange when I drove for Hood, yes. For pink and orange, fluorescent. fluorescent. Wanted to make sure everybody saw him when he was getting to Victory Lane. Hey, we're going to take another break. We're talking to Herb Scott, and we'll be back after this. Are you in need of financial planning or portfolio review? Rick Sabo of RPS Financial Solutions is an independent financial planner who has testified as an expert witness on insurance and investment fraud. He helps people who are concerned about their portfolio or with other financial matters. His services include investments, pension, and 401k rollovers, estate planning, life insurance, and long-term care alternatives. As a registered IRS tax preparer, he can assist retirees with the completion of property tax rebate forms and other government tax reduction programs at no charge. Mr. Sabo does not charge a fee to meet with potential clients for a fact find. His office is located at 5061 Route 8, Gibsonia, PA. If you are in need of any of the services that he provides, Give him a call at 724-443-5720. That's 724-443-5720. Or email him at rick.sabo at jwcemail.com. Securities offered through J.W. Cole Financial Incorporated, member of FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through J.W. Cole Advisors Incorporated, neither J.W. Cole Advisors Incorporated or J.W. Cole Financial Incorporated, nor its representatives provide legal, tax preparation, or accounting advice. Persons who provide such advice do so in a capacity other than as a registered representative of J.W.C.A. J.W.C. RPS Financial Solutions and J.W.C. J.W.C.A. are unaffiliated entities. 10-time Pittsburgh Racing Association champion with 520 feature wins. Herb, in 1967, Ed Witzberger decided to pave the Heidelberg Speedway. Uh, the fans or some of the people didn't think, they thought this might be the end of your wins. Well, I wasn't too sure if it was or not. Uh, I uh, plugged away at it and then we bought a, uh, bought a car from fellow that uh, ran the ARCA Association and they raced, in fact they raced that year at Daytona in the ARCA circuit, that's before the Daytona and uh, I bought that car and brought it here to Pittsburgh and we made some changes and that thing was so fast, it was probably the fastest car I ever drove, it had a 426 Hemi and uh, just kept on winning and winning with it How did you find the car, how did you decide to buy it, how did that come come about? Well, uh, a friend of mine, Earl Wheeler, was reading about it in one of the racing magazines, and uh, the car had won the race at the Daytona in the ARCA class, and it was for sale for $7,000, and it was two engines, a complete car, and just all kinds of parts. So I talked to the guy on the phone and made an appointment to meet him one morning at uh, 8 o'clock, so we, a friend of mine had a dump truck, we, which we ended up needing, and Earl and I, we went down there, and we got to the, where the guy had his garage, and a couple of mechanics was there, and they says, we told him what we were wanting, and the, the guy's name was Porter Lanigan, and uh, he said, Porter will never sell it. He's sold that car so many times, but nobody ever really made the deal, you know, he ended up with it. So I was going to try to get him down a little bit in the price, but uh, after that, I figured I better not even try, so he came. And we got talking, and he showed us what all he had and so forth, and uh, was out to his 
where he lived, the car was in the garage, and he had a motor over in another place, and oh, so much. But the guy, when it finally came down, that I, I said, well, I'm going to tell I want the car, and he started to cry. So he didn't want to sell it. No, he didn't want to sell it. But end up, we bought the car and brought it here and made a few changes, and that was that was something. It really it really went. It was a real experience. I drove that car for two years, and I sold it to a fellow that they had a big race at Heidelberg. It was on a Sunday afternoon, and this guy that bought it was up around, not too far up around up around your area, and the guy. He was going to drive it himself, this guy. Well, he never drove, I don't think. Well, anyhow, he came down the front straightaway, and something happened. He pulled off. Well, the car behind him demolished it. He ran right into it and just tore the whole back end of that car off. Was that the big fire at Heidelberg? Yeah, it was a big fire. It caught fire and burnt, and that was something. That was John Sconcy that ran into him. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay, well, with that car gone then, and that was that was unique because you had the number 29 on that. To see Herb Scott in something other than a 1 or a 7 or an 8 ball was an adjustment. But then uh, one of your friends came on board with a Chevelle. Yeah, Ed Holzer uh, had a Chevelle, and uh, they put a 29 on it. That was our number. And uh, I did quite well with that car. I, you know, it was a Chevy, and it was it was hanging in there, you know. As you continued to win races and championships, I guess the skeptics finally decided that it didn't matter, dirt or asphalt, they were going to have to deal with you. Yeah, well, that's the way I felt, too. Uh, then we left PRA uh, and went, what you call, I guess they called them outlaw tracks, and where we could go and win and try to win and so forth. Now, when you left PRA to decide to do the other racing, then that was primarily the dirt racing? Yeah, back to dirt, yeah. I drove for uh, George Leon, and uh, boy, we, we did a lot of traveling, but we, <laughs> we did a lot of winning. We're talking with Herb Scott, one of the racing legends in western Pennsylvania, and we're going to pick it up with the year 1970 when Herb left the Pittsburgh Racing Association. Herb, what was the decision, and why did you uh, eventually decide that uh, you no longer wanted to be with the PRA? Well, I I was always, uh, I really liked uh, dirt, and uh, I had accomplished more in on, on PRA than you know, I'd ever planned on, and, and dirt was my favorite, I thought, but uh, the asphalt was, I liked that well, so I decided to I would like to go back onto the dirt. Well, now, in 70, uh, when you uh, made this change, uh, you got connected with a, a gentleman named George Leon. George was a former driver in a claiming division, a very successful businessman with West Penn Billiards. Uh, he bought Art Munch's car. Uh, then what happened? Well, uh, he bought Art's car, and then we decided that we were going to definitely run the dirt. And... Uh, Art worked worked on it for a while, switching things around to uh, make a dirt back to a dirt car, and uh, it really turned out great. Now, way back in the coops, Art had driven uh, some. He had a, a blue number eighty-eight. Was it his original plan when he bought this that he was going to drive it? I, I don't remember. I don't. I don't really know uh, if that was his plan or not. Well, when and how did? Uh, Leon get in touch with you about being his driver in 1970. 
Well, we were down at uh, Green Valley, and I think the first night that George brought it out, he he was all over the track. He just, you know, wasn't used to it. And I think ended up Bob Waring drove that car that night. I don't think I was even there. And he, Bob went on the feature with it. So after the race was over, I, George approached me about driving for him, you know, on a regular basis. So I, I accepted that. 1970 was a pretty successful season, and toward the end of the year, uh, Raceway 7 had a 100-lap a race, and uh, I don't think you had been there at all that year. No, I'd never been there, and it was we were going up there with George's car, and George uh, George was in the tire business temporarily. And uh, I wasn't aware of that. Oh, yes. Uh, a friend of his worked with... The guy that uh, had the McCreary tire up in, where were they from? Indiana. Indiana, okay. So George went up there with the guy that was one of the owners up there and got a whole, I mean, a big truckload of racing tires. They were all rejects. So we were going to that race up at Raceway 7, and they grew some tires, and we went there, and... Uh, one of the guys that was with him, George put him in charge of selling these tires up there. I think George paid $7 a tire, and they were selling them for 35 Well, the guy that was a regular tire man up there, I don't think he appreciated it too much, but they sold all the tires, almost all the tires, and then I went out and I won the race. Oh, everybody was around that car, and George sold all the tires he had. <laughs> It was something. He made everybody mad, the other competitors <laughs> and the tire guy. That was about it, yeah. You know? But uh, that was that was one of the – we started traveling around to all the big races, and then we went to uh, – they had a big race at um, – How about the Johnny Appleseed yeah. in Mansfield? Mansfield. That's what I was trying to think of. And uh, the, I had never been to that track. And we'd – we were up all night. There wasn't any interstates. We were up all night uh, getting there and so forth. And uh, so the race was supposed to start, I don't know whether it was 1 o'clock or one thirty, but anyhow, I got in the pickup truck and I leaned my head back and I fell asleep. And the race was, I guess, when it, I, all I remember then was somebody was shaking me. Come on, come on, come on. The race was already lined up on the track, and I had qualified second but they reversed the first 10 so I was actually starting ninth so uh, they were shaking me I finally got my bearings and I ran down and got in the race car and uh, I was starting like I said ninth well a couple laps later I was like 20th I was like going backwards I couldn't get my bearings and finally they said I got my bearings uh, and I went on and run and won the race Took you a couple laps to wake up. Well, it sure did. I, George was so excited, you know. He might, probably would have killed me if I wouldn't have got awake. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about 71 uh, when George decided to campaign two cars. And we'll be back after these messages. Every day when they open the doors at Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, their goal is to provide great customer service by offering affordable automotive and truck repair service performed by highly trained technicians at the highest industry standard. 
By implementing the latest diagnostic equipment and computerized repair manuals, you can rest assured that your vehicle will be repaired to factory specifications for your specific car or truck. At Zarin Truck and Automotive, they believe in honest repairs and will demonstrate that fully by explaining the repair or service you are receiving and they'll give you an estimate or quote before work is performed. When you choose Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, you are choosing professional automotive repair and maintenance performed by expert automotive technicians. That's Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights. Herb, what was the decision and why did you uh, eventually decide that uh, you no longer wanted to be with the PRA? Well, I I was always, uh, I really liked uh, dirt and uh, I had accomplished more in on on PRA than you know, I'd ever planned on, and and dirt was my favorite. I thought that uh, the asphalt was I liked that well, so I decided to I would like to go back onto the dirt. Well, now in '70, uh, when you uh, made this change, uh, you got connected with a a gentleman named George Leon. George was a former driver in a claiming division, a very successful businessman with West Penn Billiards. Uh, he bought Art Munch's car. Uh, then what happened? Well, uh, he bought Art's car, and then we decided that we were going to definitely run the dirt. And uh, Art worked worked on it for a while, switching things around to uh, make a dirt back to a dirt car, and uh, it really turned out great. Now, way back in the coops, Art had driven uh, some. He had a, a blue number eighty-eight. Was it his original plan when he bought this that he was going to drive it? I, I don't remember. I don't. I don't really know uh, if that was his plan or not. Well, when and how did? Uh, Leon get in touch with you about being his driver in 1970? Well, we were down at uh, Green Valley, and I think the first night that George brought it out, he he was all over the track. He just, you know, wasn't used to it. And I think ended up Bob Waring drove that car that night. I don't think I was even there. And he, Bob went to race, on the feature with it. So after the race was over, I, George approached me about driving for him, you know, on a regular basis, so I, I accepted that. 1970 was a pretty successful season, and toward the end of the year, uh, Raceway 7 had a 100-lap a race, and uh, I don't think you had been there at all that year. No, I'd never been there, and it was, we were going up there with George's car, and George, uh, George was in the tire business temporarily. And uh, I wasn't aware of that. Oh, yes. Uh, a friend of his worked with a guy that uh, had the McCreary tire up in, where were they from? Indiana. Indiana, okay. So George went up there with the guy that was one of the owners up there and got a whole, I mean a big truckload of racing tires. They were all rejects. So we were going to that race up at Raceway 7 and they grew some tires and we went there. And uh, one of the guys that was with him, George put him in charge of selling these tires up there. I think George paid $7 a tire, and they were selling them for 35 Well, the guy that was a regular tire man up there, I don't think he appreciated it too much, but they sold all the tires, almost all the tires, and then I went out and I won the race. 
Oh, everybody was around that car, and George sold all the tires he had. <laughs> it was something. He made everybody mad, the other competitors <laughs> and the tire guy. That was about it, yeah. But uh, that was that was one of the – we started traveling around to all the big races, and then we went to uh, – they had a big race at uh, – How about the Johnny Appleseed yeah. in Mansfield? Mansfield. That's what I was trying to think of. And uh, – I had never been to that track, and we we were up all night. There wasn't any interstates, and we were up all night uh, getting there and so forth. And uh, so the race was supposed to start. I don't know whether it was one o'clock or one thirty, but anyhow, I got in the pickup truck and I leaned my head back and I fell asleep. And the race was, I guess, when it, I, all I remember then was somebody was shaking me. Come on, come on, come on! The race was already lined up on the track. And I had qualified second, but they reversed the first ten, so I was actually starting ninth. So uh, they were shaking me. I finally got my bearings, and I ran down and got in the race car, and uh, I was starting, like I said, ninth. Well, a couple of laps later, I was like 20th. I was like going backwards. I couldn't get my bearings. And finally, they said I got my bearings, uh, and I went on and won the race. Took you a couple laps to wake up. Oh, it sure did. I, George was so excited, you know. He might probably would have killed me if I wouldn't have got awake. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, 71 when George decided to campaign two cars. And we'll be back after these messages. The month of July at Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway is shaping up to be a thrilling month of entertainment at Dirt's Monster Half Mile. On Saturday, July the 1st, Falcone's Moon Township Automotive presents the Buckeye Outlaw Sprint Series. The wingless daredevils fight one another to tame Dirt's Monster Half Mile. On Saturday, July the 8th, it's autograph night where everyone will get to meet the drivers and see the cars up close on the front stretch of the speedway. Saturday, July 15th, it's the annual Herb Scott Memorial featuring the Rush Late Model Touring Series. One week later, on July 22nd, our TMT Transportation Action Event Divisions will be on display as the Rush Sportsman Modifieds join us for another visit. And the month rounds out on July 29th with the Rush Sprint Cars, headlining a TMT Transportation Action Event. Visit ppms.com today. Search PA Motor Speedway on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, home of Dirt's Monster Half Mile. Herb, in 1971, George Leon decided he was going to campaign two cars. Let's start the story with that. Well, George bought a car someplace. In fact, I I, I don't know who he... Was that the car that he bought from Mark Munch? Yes, it was a 66 Chevelle. And I think when he got it, it was gold. I don't recall the number, but then it became the second eight ball. Yeah, okay. Uh, and I, uh, George, like I said before, George uh, was going to drive it himself, I think, but then he changed his mind. And I got... But driving and we did a lot of traveling around we we really uh, we would go to wherever the big money was you know well when the second car came about and Bob Waring was put in it uh, how what part of the season was this early on in the season no that was the next season okay and uh, in fact we went to uh, we went to Daytona with uh, 
George's car. It had trouble with the differentials, kept blowing out. I led every, well, uh, when I say this was at a dirt track down there, and I led every race that I was in but never finished. So, go ahead. Once the, the team got the bugs out of the car, a decision was made that, uh, you know, Bob would go to Learnville on Friday and you'd go to St. Clairsville uh, because he didn't want you both at the same track. And I guess the logic was there because if you were both at the same track, you'd get first and second. If you were separate tracks, you'd get two firsts. Yeah, that's true. And what uh, Bob and I did, uh, we, we'd put our money into a kitty, you know, and we'd split it. It's like one would win, the other one got second someplace. Why well, That was how the way that worked. And somewhere, what, 70, 80 feature wins that year between the two cars? I think it was close to around 80. That didn't make the competitors too happy. No, but we had we sure had a lot of fun. It was it was great. And uh, we went to Clearfield and uh, just all around. We, we went a couple nights a week. Now, I'm sure the statute of limitations is up. And, uh, George, I, I know, wouldn't mind if we tell people. But I guess this got pretty expensive. He owned West Penn Billiards. And he was selling a lot of pool tables, but when they came to check his inventory, he had all these empty boxes stacked up in the warehouse so that they didn't realize that the pool table finances were going into the race team. Well, that's, that's, that's the story that I got, but George laughed about it, and everybody laughed about it. So maybe it's an urban legend. Uh, in 76, now from 73 to 79, you had a lot of success uh, with your own car, but in 76 at the Lernerville Speedway, that was really significant. Well, we'll go back the night before. The, uh, at Green Valley, uh, I had 498. I won the race there. It was 499. Then the next night, we went to Lernerville and won that race. That made the 500. And Don Martin uh, gave us an extra 500 bucks because we won it at his track. And uh, we made good use of that 500. We had a party here at my place and it was great all the you know a lot of guys a lot of drinking i was one of the lucky people to be at that party and you gave out pins and it said i saw herb scott win five won his 500th feature and i still have that pin when you think about the friendships over the years and the people that were part of your team either as fans pit crew competitors whatever uh what a treasure chest of friendships you've developed over the years Oh, yeah, and I, I still uh, have a lot of them same friends. You know, you see them once in a while, and they remembered me. And they said, oh, I was just a kid uh, when my dad used to take me to race. I said, I was only a kid, too. <laughs> when we, uh, we'll, and we'll get to that, the flagship part, and that's some of the friendships that uh, you developed. That, that'll be a whole segment by itself. I think it was kind of interesting that the gentleman that finished second in that race was Bob Waring. Yeah, that, that's right. He was second. And... Uh, you didn't split the money that night. No, we didn't split any money that night. <laughs> uh, so you ran your own car, uh, North Hills, Lernerville, Jennerstown, Schmuckers, uh, up until 79. Um, you know, when George quit and you got your own car, uh, you were there was a pretty significant race up at La Trobe, and it was, uh, you had mentioned you were having some minor health problems. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Well, I was getting lightheaded and dizzy, and... So there was a race up, well, I, a few races before that, uh, I shouldn't have been racing, I know, because I would, it seemed like I would get lightheaded, and then it would, it would kind of go away. Well, this particular night up at the Trobe, 
there was a wreck. We were racing. It was probably halfway through, and uh, there was a wreck on the front straightaway, I remember. And they stopped the race, and everybody, all the guys got out of their cars, and they're leaning against their cars. And uh, it was a good thing I had something to lean on, because I was really lightheaded and dizzy. So the race was about ready to start, and uh, this is kind of touchy. <laughs> I made a deal with the Lord. I said, if I can get through this, you get me through this. I don't care if I win, but I'll quit. Well, I won the race, and the next week, I'm thinking about that all week. The next week, I thought, well, I'll try another time up at uh, Lernerville. It was coming the next Friday. And uh, I left the word get out that I was going to sell the car. And I guess by luck, it rained out that night. So I didn't have to break my promise. So I sold the car. I can't remember the guy's name. But they came out here on the same night. It was on a Friday night. And uh, I never thought that they'd had... And they asked me the price, and I told them what it was. And he said, I'll take it. I said, well, you'll have to get... Uh, I wanted the cash. And you'll have to... He said, I got the cash with me. So we sit down in the garage, and he counted all this money out. And uh, they took the car home. That was on a Friday night. They were going to race at Latrobe the next night. And um, gee whiz, they took the car up there. They painted the car and everything during the night, and they took it up to uh, Latrobe, and they wrecked the car. Guys don't have a lot of success when they buy your cars. No, <laughs> no, that's for sure. That that Hemi I had, that, like I said, we were talking before, it caught a fire and burned up in a, in a wreck. We're going to pursue more on Herb Scott's story after this next break. We'll be back with more after this. Number One Cochrane has created a new way, a faster way, an easier way to buy a car. Now you can complete as much of the process as you'd like online and spend less time in store. Or do it all online and get home delivery. Expressway is way easy to use. Just shop our nearly 20 new car brands and thousands of pre-owned vehicles to find the model that's perfect for you. We're big on transparency, so you get our best possible price up front. We call it our clear-cut price, and it's independently validated by Kelly Blue Book right on your screen. Our experts are standing by to help you throughout the entire buying process. You can also stop at any time, save where you are, and come to the showroom to pick up where you left off. Don't love your new vehicle? Don't worry, we'll take it back, no questions asked. Best of all, Expressway is open 24-7. That means you can buy your way with Expressway right away. Number one, Cochran. See it all at Cochran.com. We're talking with Herb Scott, and we're going to get into some of the uh, little tidbits of information with no years specific. You know, Herb, you ended your career with 520 feature wins and all kinds of honors. Dapper Dan, uh, Race of Champions Hall of Fame, Pittsburgh Circle Track Club Hall of Fame. Let's talk about some of these awards. Yeah, okay. Um, the, the Dapper Dan, I have three Dapper Dan awards and uh, well, several other awards. Uh, uh, circle track, or not circle track, but the uh, 
Well, when you think of the Dapper Dan Awards, 57, 60, and 64, and that was in a time where racing wasn't considered the thing to do. Yeah, you're right. Mostly it was baseball and all kind of other sports, which 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 were great. But uh, I was very fortunate to be honored at least once, but then I got honored three times. Then uh, the uh, Race of Champions Hall of Fame in 76, and then in the early 90s, the Pittsburgh Circle Track Club Hall of Fame. Uh, Let's talk about the time at Lake Trobe Speedway where you won the race and you were having your picture taken and you were having issues with your fire suit. Well, it was on the front straightaway, and when you won the race, you got out of the car and they, you know, everybody applauded you, the ones that liked you and the ones that didn't boo you, I guess. But anyhow, I had a fire suit on that probably was, had, had a little age to it and the elastic in it was loose. And I'm standing right on the front straightaway facing the grandstand. Would you believe my trousers fell to my ankles? <laughs> That's a day you'll never forget. <laughs> uh, when you compare present-day racing and the times that have gone by and the expenses, uh, you have to just shake your head sometimes and, and wonder. Well, I think it was more fun then and a, sp- a sport that everybody enjoyed it. Uh, people had, you know, they didn't have to put as much money in a car and didn't have to buy as expensive tires which they have to today and I, I think it, I think it was more of a sport or fun sport and, and a lot of it was the ingenuity of, of the, the guy building the car and the talent of the driver and unfortunately I think and you can see it in, in Nextel Cup today you know you bring a young kid in that maybe was racing go-karts last week you put him in a top flight car with all these engineers and all his high dollars and they're going to have success and it seems to take a little bit away from the ingenuity and creativity of the the owners, builders, and drivers, and I think it's I think you're right. There's a lot of guys today that have have good cars. These when I say uh, I'm talking about NASCAR and so forth, good cars and they're good drivers, but they can't make the race. You know, I, I, that's where I think that they should have some kind of a thing for the guys that aren't fast enough to make the big race. They should have a consolation race or something. And, and a lot of good drivers are in the grandstands just because of economics. You think about it, when you were running the tires cost $12, $14, $15 a piece. Now they're about $120 a piece. And when you think about it on a given night where a guy might have to use two, three, four tires, that's insane. Yeah, right. It's, uh, we used to go to like the Sears or someplace and buy the biggest tire that they had and that was only 12 14 dollars you know it was a brand new tire the purses at heidelberg with pra uh when you let's say during the peak of the 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 season with the uh, the coops uh what did feature pay to win well pra when they when it was formed ed witzberger said we'll never pay less than 500 dollars to win the feature and 500 bucks was pretty good amount then and today I, I don't know uh, what they pay it's, I know it's it's a lot of money but it's sure more money than what they're gonna you know end up they're gonna they're gonna spend more than what they got and you know and, and as I said I spent a lot of time at Vilsack's garage and he would either build or buy a car and you go to the junkyard and get a Buick engine put a cam in it overhaul it use these tires and I think even the best equipment around, what, five, maybe 800, maybe stretching a $1,000 in a whole car. I would think. 
Yeah, I would think so. The tires, like I said, the tires were cheap and just like you had to go to a junkie. You had to make your stuff up. And then you go to a scrapyard and buy uh, whatever you needed. And But today, <laughs> there is none of them days left. So it didn't take long to recover the investment in the car. Speaking of cars, uh, as I came in here, you showed me this beautiful 40 Ford convertible. Uh, your passion now with the uh, the street rods, and then we'll talk a little bit about your son Deke. But let's talk about the convertible. Well, I, I, I cars has been my life, and uh, now I go to car shows and cruises, mostly cruises. Uh, uh, they don't judge your car or anything at a cruise, but series at shows they do. And uh, oh, I love it. I go a couple, three times a week, to, and uh, I'm very proud of it. Again, I want to remind you, we're talking to Herb Scott, 10-time Pittsburgh Racing Association champion, and the gentleman has 520 feature wins. Herb, I'd like to take a little bit of time. We're talking about street rods. Uh, your son, Deke, has built a beautiful street rod. Let's, uh, let's tell the fans about that. Well, Deke has a, uh, he built this all himself. Uh, he bought some of the parts he had, you know, naturally he had to buy, but uh, he, he did a lot of, we worked a couple of years on it, but it's probably one of the nicest cars around. What kind is it? It's a 32 Ford with a Chrysler Hemi engine. So do you, do you both go to the cruises together? Well, he doesn't go as much as I do because he has more yard work to do than I do. I know business commitments, uh, he's running Herb Scott uh, Auto Service, is probably one of the primary reasons that he had to give up the driving. But prior to that, uh, I remember watching him down at the North Hills Raceway. Then he hooked up with the guys with the 88 Modified, won a title at Lernerville, later had a lot of success in the number 11 late model. Uh, it's unfortunate. Well, I guess it's good. The business got good, so he had to get out of racing. And I guess eating is pretty important, so you want to take care of business. A lot of fellas haven't done that. You're still a part of the business, even though you're retired. I go up there from time to time, and Deke will say, well, Dad's working. What, what's he do? Or what do you do? Well, I, uh, I watch them work now. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you doing a lot of towing for a while? Yes, I quit towing. We, we quit towing. and I, Well, we still do a little bit, uh, customers and so forth, but... Uh, I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely retired. Well, it's about time. You know, I, I think you more than paid your dues. Uh, Deke uh, has two, uh, two lovely daughters. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that, something Grandpa could be very proud of. Oh, yeah, I seen them the other night. Uh, in fact, it was my birthday last week, and uh, they were here. And the next night they were over at, uh, over at Deke's. Deke's had a cookout, Deke and his wife, and uh, yeah, it was very nice. You know, I think, and obviously the, the ladies have, have grown up since the last time I saw them, but a little bit about the granddaughters. Well, Stephanie is the oldest, and uh, she's 30, maybe 33, and Jody, I think, just turned 30. And they both, well, the oldest one is here right now from Florida. She lives in Florida. She's a school teacher down there. And uh, don't have any great-grandchildren yet, but... Uh, Someday. Well, when I said they've grown up, I didn't realize how long it's been since I saw them. I mean, they were five, six, eight years old the last time I saw them. Um, when you when you look back on the career, one of the most illustrious careers in not only in Western Pennsylvania but in the United States. Uh, what would have been the favorite moment? The 500 win, or the championships, or, or all the awards? Uh, what was the favorite moment? Well, I would. Uh I, I guess the 500 wins. Uh, a lot of other wins that I, I remember a lot of them, but a lot of them I don't remember, but uh, I definitely remember that one. 
when you think about the humble beginnings in Large or New Kensington in those roadsters, which were incredibly unsafe, and then how the thing evolved over the years to when you completed your career in the late models, a lot of adjustments, a lot of changes, technology starting to come in, uh, but you just kind of adjusted when necessary and just kept winning races. Yeah, that was it, and that's probably, uh, I was a little older when I had the chance that I could have went to Indy, and uh, like, I, like I've said, I wouldn't have been here today because uh, I had to win. I want to share a story with the listeners since the statute of limitations is up. I'm pretty sure it was in 1978. You gave me a little tip. There was some sort of an electrical adjustment off a snowplow that we had on the left rear corner of the car. And you may have had, I guess you had the same thing, that would adjust the wedge. And there was a little switch on the dashboard. And I have to think we won the championship at North Hills in 78. And I think I have to thank you for that. Yeah, we... Uh we, I don't even know how we came up with that idea, but it didn't. We could, we could put more weight or take weight off the left rear is where, you, you know, give you more traction or take a little off if your car got to push you straight ahead. But the, yeah, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. It would be funny. You go out the first couple laps, could barely drive the car. You just keep making the adjustments. Next thing you know, you're, you're really dialed in there. Um, one night at North Hills, you ended up in the creek. Yeah, that was the only time I was ever down in that creek, uh, Come close a few times. A lot of guys went in the creek. The creek was right next to the track, and there wasn't any fence or anything. Or you just, if you went off the track, you were definitely in the creek. But uh, I was lucky; I only went in there one time. Well, only one time, Herb was up the creek. <laughs> hey, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the flagship. Stay with us. Every day when they open the doors at Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, their goal is to provide great customer service by offering affordable automotive and truck repair service performed by highly trained technicians at the highest industry standard. By implementing the latest diagnostic equipment and computerized repair manuals, you can rest assured that your vehicle will be repaired to factory specifications for your specific car or truck. At Zarin Truck and Automotive, they believe in honest repairs and will demonstrate that fully by explaining the repair or service you are receiving and they'll give you an estimate or quote before work is performed. When you choose Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, you are choosing professional automotive repair and maintenance performed by expert automotive technicians. That's Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights. We're back. We're talking with Herb Scott. Herb, when you talk to some of the competitors and fans from the 70s that raced at Latrobe or Jennerstown or even Morgantown, and you mention the flagship, it brings a smile to everyone's face. How did that become the official rest stop for the competitors on a Saturday night? Well, the flagship was a, a very nice guy that owned it and ran it. Uh, he was crippled, but a very nice guy. And uh, we stopped there one night that uh, I think we had a rain out at uh, Latrobe. And I guess we stopped there for a six-pack on the way back and, uh, and met the guy. And first thing you know, we were stopping there every Saturday night. And uh, like you said, uh, some of the guys from all around different tracks would go way out of the road on a Saturday night to stop at the flagship because we would all meet there together. 
after you started this trend, I know Gil Roth was running Morgantown. He'd drive up from Morgantown to get there, and some of the guys at Jennerstown would drive down. And it got to a point after a while that if you didn't get there early, you couldn't get a place to park. Well, that was pretty near an all-night thing, too. It was like uh, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning before you get out of there. And... Uh, Smokey Shep was sort of like, uh, I, I guess, the official ambassador or greeter or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but one night, uh, you you had to teach him a lesson. He he always uh, wanted to to get a ride to Wexford. Yeah, well, we had a, a we had a bus. It was a school bus, and we remodeled it and so forth. Took some of the seats out and put a table in it, and the race car in the back. And uh, so we would always stop there. There's one particular night. Uh, we stopped there, and uh, it was raining, and it was a very bad accident outside. And uh, we had a little, little guy, Georgie Nolan, was, he used to work at our place. And uh, George was out where the wreck was, they were waiting on the ambulance, and this poor fellow, the black man, uh, was laying there, you could tell he was dead. And they finally they came and got everything cleaned up, and we came inside, and George has a new hat. Somebody said, where'd you get the hat, George? Well, he said, off that, that guy. He said, he don't need it anymore. You know, he, he, he wore the hat. And we're on our way home, uh, and Earl, Earl Wheeler grabbed that hat and threw it out the, out the window on the turnpike. So one other, well, Smokey, he was always a chimp. He was always a character. So we're out there, and he was always jagging around. So this particular night, we had the bus, and this this got to be uh, two or three o'clock in the morning. And uh, Smokey was agitating everybody, so he finally got. We were ready to leave, and he's outside without any shoes on. He's in his socks. So I, I guess he had socks on. I don't know. But anyhow, he gets in the bus, and I forget who was driving the bus. Somebody that wasn't drinking, and we started down the road. And Smokey's hard. Let me out. Let me out. Well. You know where he got out at? Wexford, PA. <laughs> he had no way home. So George, the guy we were talking about before, George, uh, ended up, he took Smokey clean back to Braddock, I guess, in Munhall. And uh, I guess they went in a club out there, him and George. Well, George ended up in there getting home until it was daylight. So that was, that was a real night. Smokey thought you guys were just going to go about a quarter of a mile down the road and drop him off. But some of the stories, there's a lot of stories about the flagship we can't tell. But, you know, it, it leads into the, the camaraderie and, and, you know, the friendships you develop. And, you know, on a, any given night, you go out there, you want to run the wheels off uh, uh, the, the other competitors, but then you could sit down and have a beer or a sandwich. And when you, when you factor that into the family aspect of racing, I, I really believe that's why it's still so popular. Yes, true. Uh, definitely, it's friendship, but uh, I'm not sure it's that way anymore. You know, uh, it used to be a lot of fun, but I don't. I think it's more of a business now than uh, fun part. Uh, Herb, I think the most appropriate thing to do on this next break is uh, after this uh, set of commercials here, we're going to have to have a chat with uh, your lovely wife. We'll be back with more after these messages. Are you in need of financial planning or portfolio review? Rick Sabo of RPS Financial Solutions is an independent financial planner who has testified as an expert witness on insurance and investment fraud. 
He helps people who are concerned about their portfolio or with other financial matters. His services include investments, pension, and 401k rollovers, estate planning, life insurance, and long-term care alternatives. As a registered IRS tax preparer, he can assist retirees with the completion of property tax rebate forms and other government tax reduction programs at no charge. Mr. Sabo does not charge a fee to meet with potential clients for a fact find. His office is located at 5061 Route 8, Gibsonia, PA. If you are in need of any of the services that he provides, give him a call at 724-443-5720. That's 724-443-5720. Or email him at rick.sabo at jwcemail.com. Securities offered through J.W. Cole Financial Incorporated, member of FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through J.W. Cole Advisors Incorporated, neither J.W. Cole Advisors Incorporated or J.W. Cole Financial Incorporated, nor its representatives provide legal, tax preparation, or accounting advice. Persons who provide such advice do so in a capacity other than as a registered representative of J.W.C.A., J.W.C. RPS Financial Solutions and J.W.C., J.W.C.A. are unaffiliated entities. And I've said for many, many years, if you have a successful racer, there is a very patient woman involved. And we're going to talk to Pat Scott. Pat, what was it like being married to a legend? Well, a lot of years, we had a lot, we had a lot of fun. And one of the nicest times we had was when we had the school bus that we hauled the race car on. And the, the whole family could go. The children went, and we had a great time on the school bus. We were talking about that in the last segment before you came in about Smokey and the flagship and some of the shenanigans. Speaking of shenanigans, I'd like to rewind to the Potter Puff race. I believe it was at Claridge, and you were in the race. I think you were winning the race. Let's talk about that. I was winning the race, and I was just thrilled to death. And coming down to the checkered flag, all of a sudden this car comes out of nowhere and cuts in front of me, and I ended up second. My father was in the grandstand, and he was absolutely furious <laughs> that, that I had lost the race. And as it turned out, it was my husband who did that, dressed as a woman. And I didn't know anything about it. It was a complete surprise, but we were mad the rest of the night. <laughs> I was looking forward to winning that Butterpuff Derby. And he had an accomplice. Yes, he did. Don Dale was an accomplice, and he was also dressed as a lady. It was fun for everybody else, but we were a little bit upset about it. I would love to have a picture of Herb <laughs> Scott and Don Dale dressed up like women. Um, you know, you mentioned family, uh, and we, we talked earlier in the show about Deke's success and then how eventually the business became bigger and bigger, and he had to uh, give up the driving. But we didn't have a, a lot of an opportunity to talk about uh, his daughters. We briefly mentioned them and his wife. So why don't you bring us up to date on the family part? Uh, we have two very nice granddaughters. One is a school teacher in Florida, and the other one is an EMT in Mars. She does a lot of uh, ambulance work. And they're both married to very nice men. And uh, we have a real nice family. And Deke remarried about three years ago, and he married a great gal. She's one of 13 children, and she's just a wonderful wife and mother, and we just get along just fine. That's important for the, yes. the wife and the mother-in-law. Uh, you just came back from a, a golf tournament that I, I think was rained out, but I understand uh, you're a pretty avid golfer. I just love to golf. Uh, I don't care. Um, you know, I'm getting 
I'm 77 now, and I'm still playing golf three or four days a week, and I just love it. I, I didn't start till I was 55. I'm not the greatest golfer, but I'm kind of like in between in the middle. And uh, we just came back from a two-day outing. There were 120 women there, and we just had a wonderful time. I don't believe you're 77. You might you might pass for 55. With Herb's career and family and all the things, uh, did you have a favorite moment? Uh, there's probably many, but do you have one thing that really stands out? Probably the Pittsburgh Racing Association and the Ladies Auxiliary. Uh, we were a group of drivers' wives that uh, all sat together in the same section, cheered for our husbands, and didn't boo anybody else's husband. And uh, we had an organization that uh, we planned all the banquets and we made yearbooks. We collected ads and collected money and bought fire suits for the uniforms. And it was just a wonderful three years with Gene O'Connor and uh, and uh, uh, even Dick Linder's wife was involved. And uh, Joe Halleck's wife and I were the best of friends. In spite of all the conflict the two of them had, we were the best friends. And probably, if you hadn't said it, probably a lot of people wouldn't believe that. Uh -huh. Well, all the driver's wives knew that. We were all pretty good mm -hmm. friends, so we got along very good. We just ignored what these guys did on the racetrack to each other. <laughs> did you ever have to bite your tongue? Lots of times. <laughs> you know, actually, Herb did so much winning, I actually did a lot of apologizing for the person who came in second. <laughs> When I think of his career, I guess the, the career that you were a very big part of, uh, I don't think that will ever be uh, matched uh, in the future here because, you know, we talked about the expense of racing and uh, the time commitment and the fact that, you know, when, Herb, when you guys were racing five days a week, I, I just don't see that happening today, whether it be the economy or the cost. Uh, those were a very special time that uh, I, as a fan, will I will cherish forever. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I would too. We went, we went to a lot of uh, pretty far places, and Herb had to get up at six o'clock in the morning, go to work sometimes five o'clock, and I would drive home sometimes from Clearfield for our drive, and from West Virginia, a long, long way home. You know, I drove, and he slept on the way home. One time, he almost slept through the race. We were talking <laughs> about the the Johnny Appleseed. I want to thank you and Herb for letting me come to your home to get this interview, and I know the fans are going to love it. We had them on a couple of weeks ago, and I'm still getting emails about how much everybody enjoyed it. Well, I think everybody always enjoys talking about the past, especially now that all the, uh, the older drivers, a lot of them, are they're just drifting away one by one, and we're kind of like disappearing. Thank you very much. I want to take a minute and thank our marketing partners. Number one, Cochrane Automotive, Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, Zarin Truck and Automotive, and RPS Financial Solutions. Without these people, we would not be able to do wrapping on racing, and I thank them.